0: The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. All of the projections we reference during the show are available to our patrons before we record each week. Tier 2 and Tier 3 supporters also receive exclusive access to our 2020 FBS team profiles, which include daily updated player ratings, depth charts, and point spread projections, plus our team and player stat projections database. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to learn more.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Fogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Fogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. It's Nicholas Ian Allen and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter for him. What is going on, fellas? Ready for this uh, fun weekend? Hoping not every single game gets canceled.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, uh, I mean, just before we started recording, not, not, uh, but what, an hour or so ago, I guess, Ohio State and Maryland. That one came as a bit of a surprise. Apparently Maryland's having a, a big flare-up that we didn't know about. The SEC uh, has had more games impacted than not. And uh, yeah, hopefully, I know that there have been times in the past where we've talked about Particular games and and uh, they've been canceled after we recorded last week. I think there were three uh, games where we, uh, you know, all three of our projection models lined up, and we give those out usually towards the end of the show. And I think three of them were canceled after we recorded later on that night. So mm-hmm. hopefully, uh, we've we've gotten all the bad news out of the way early this week. But uh, as we know, it, it it can pop up anytime.
1: Yeah, I mean, Xavier, just the list of these games here uh, is Georgia, Missouri, canceled uh, Duke, Virginia, Louisiana, Monroe, Arkansas State, Navy, Memphis, A&M, Tennessee, Auburn, Mississippi State, LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Maryland, Air Force, Wyoming, and a partridge in a pear tree all have <laughs> already been canceled. But uh, I mean, there's still some good games to look forward to this week.
2: Absolutely. I, I want to see what the SEC does. Uh, you know, obviously they said they're gonna fine a bunch of people for getting COVID and for having to cancel games. Are they going to find the entire conference? We're gonna have to find out. Uh, but you know, just this, this allows for more eyes on other games for people who are SEC fans. If you haven't gotten your eyes on some of the teams we're gonna talk about, it's time to go and watch Cincinnati for the first time this year. Get out of your
1: little bubbles and That's go right. watch some football. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh and C- Cincinnati's good football to watch mm-hmm. for sure. So, uh well let's go back to what happened last week and uh just starting out with the ranked games, Miami uh held on against NC State. That was a dicey mm-hmm. game on Friday night, 44 to 41. they stay uh they they win over uh, NC State. BYU pounded Boise State into the ground on Friday night. 51 to 17 in what is another impressive win for them. Uh, Texas somehow is ranked uh, 22 and they beat West Virginia 17 to 13 in the most boring game of the weekend. Uh, Indiana beat Michigan 38 to 21. So uh, Xavier and I are going to have a lot to say about that game in a little bit here. Uh, SMU over Temple 47 to 23. Liberty. Liberty. At 25, edges out Vatek to stay undefeated yeah. and uh, give Xavier's props on that one. 38-35 in that victory. Uh, Marshall pounded Massachusetts 51-10. to Cincinnati embarrassed Houston 38-10. Oklahoma beat down Kansas 62-9. to yeah. um, Cocktail party not so good for your Bulldogs, Xavier. 44-28 in George's favor. Oklahoma State... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Oklahoma State uh, barely beat Kansas State. This was a rough one to watch. Mm-hmm. 20 to 18. Iowa State over Baylor, 38-31, and a nice fervor and comeback for them. Uh, A&M pound, South Carolina, 48-3. Oregon over Stanford, 35-14. Ohio State stays undefeated over Rutgers, 49-27. Uh, the game of the night went into double overtime with the fighting Irish taking down the number one. Clemson Tigers 47 to 40. And then all of the fans rushed the field. Very strange moment there. And then uh, Coastal Carolina beat South Alabama 23 to 6. So, Nick, your reactions as to what went down in week 10?
0: Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the first one Friday night we talked about. BYU and Boise State, and our numbers show maybe Boise State should be favored. They were shorthanded. We knew that they, you know, could potentially be shorthanded, but uh, I think it turned out even more than we expected. But uh, you know, uh, BYU just continues to exceed expectations pretty much week in and week out, and, and continue to look really, really good. Looks like a, a legitimate uh, top ten. Type team. I mean, BYU is now up to uh, what, ninth in our power rankings, which I think is the highest uh, non power five team has ever been in our numbers. They just continue to impress. So, uh, absolutely had that one wrong last week. BYU looked a- as good, if not better, as they've looked in any game this year. Uh, Notre Dame's win, I think, was a big one. I think that uh, obviously you know, they were able to catch Clemson without not only Trevor Lawrence, but uh, what a handful almost of, of uh, projected starters on defense. Uh, multiple guys on the defensive line uh, did not play at all. A couple of guys also left the game with injuries on the defensive line. They were without a starter and linebacker. Uh, and then, of course, even though D.J. Wangalale, you know, played really, really well, put up good numbers, uh, not having Trevor Lawrence, I think, was was obviously, uh, you know, Clemson's not at full strength, and they have uh, really kind of struggled running the ball recently. And mm-hmm. uh, when you don't have Trevor Lawrence available, uh, you would like to be able to, uh, you know, establish Travis Etienne and and get that going. But uh, they had to rely on the true freshman. He threw for over 400 yards, looked pretty good, you know, for the most part. But um, still you know I, I think that though Notre Dame certainly deserved this victory in in my opinion uh would have been nice to to have seen it against a full strength Clemson team uh Florida uh, you know over Georgia, kind of kind of similar Georgia has had a, a lot of injuries we talked about uh specifically on defense but Florida I think uh pretty much controlled this game I mean Georgia jumped out to a 14 nothing Lead and then from that point, Florida, which you know their defense has been uh, really, really kind of struggled the first few weeks of the season, um, shut out the Georgia offense. From that point, Uh, Georgia's only other score was a defensive score, and and uh, so that Florida defense uh, actually that might not be correct, but uh, but you know they 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 allowed one more touchdown, I think, but Mm -hmm. um, but still the the Florida defense really I think stepped up the Georgia. Offense, which we know has been a bit of a question mark, uh, continued to struggle. Uh, other than a 75-yard run by Zamir White, they really struggled to run the ball. And and then Stetson Bennett, who we've said before, you know, potentially Georgia wasn't going to be able to beat Alabama and Florida with with a, a guy with a somewhat limited ceiling like Stetson Bennett, and they've lost to both. And and so you know now he's banged up. We didn't know what we would get. Uh, in the Missouri game, maybe DeJuan Mathis, maybe we'd finally see JT Daniels. But now with that game being uh, canceled, you know we'll, we'll have to wait another week to see. But I, I think you know the the those big ranked versus ranked matchups probably uh, gave us the most to talk about. Understandably so, you know Michigan losing. I think I'm finally ready to write off Michigan. Uh, I know that you know last week I, I again I, I sort of made the case for our numbers, how they thought they were clearly favored and, and should beat Indiana. And that was one of our biggest edges. That was obviously wrong. Indiana uh, played really, really well. Michigan did not. And uh, so so that was definitely one we missed. Overall, the week was pretty good, but some of the uh, bigger highlighted games, you know, the Boise State miss, the Michigan miss, a few others along the way, uh, unfortunately we, we lost some important ones, but, uh, I, I think last week was, was solid. It was a, a good week. I feel like I feel like I learned a little bit. I know a lot of times in this, uh, you know, part of the podcast, I sometimes say, I don't I don't know what we learned, but I feel like I, I'm starting to get a better handle on some of these teams and some of those bigger games, I think really helped solidify some things for me.
1: Xavier, your thoughts on what happened this week, obviously I know, uh, clearly upset about uh, you know, the cocktail party and all that stuff. But the Clemson game was a lot of fun to watch.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't as upset as I, I, I probably typically am when I feel like we won, we won hundred percent defensively. I think that really had a huge uh, issue in the game. Obviously we, a lot of busts in that go- in that game, a lot of busted coverages. Uh, and that probably was specifically down to missing Richard LeCount on the back end. Uh, you know, no pressure on Kyle Trask. He had all day to throw. No pressure up the middle with Jordan Davis and Julian Rochester and all these guys out as well. Um, it just looked like the defense was just out of sorts. And it was one of those situations where I just looked at, um, you know, it, it, that Kirby got out coached. Plain, plain, plain and simple. Dan Mullen put the defense in weird situations. They ran it, it made. They made Georgia look like they were lost the entire ball game, um, and Kirby just didn't look like he knew what was going on on the field. And neither did the players. And by the time they kind of got an idea of what was going on, Florida had already put up thirty five points, and the game was pretty much over. Um, some other games. I thought the Clemson game. I thought Clemson was uncharacteristically, you know, loose with the football. I, th- I think that you know this is not a team that typically gives up points uh, or, or gives, you know, short fields or turns the football over, especially in the way that they did. You know, obviously uh, the Travis CTN fumble was it a fumble was it characterized as a pick I can't mm. okay so the fumble you know they ended up going in for a score and it really once again for the second week in a row Clemson looked like it didn't wake up until the second half uh especially offensively and I think at this time it just was a little bit too late I think Notre Dame had had the confidence and got and built the confidence necessary to beat a number one team especially while you're at home as well Clemson had to play a near flawless game and they couldn't do that especially with Trevor Lawrence out of the ball game. Um, To the BYE game, Zach Wilson's draft stock has now gone through the roof. I mean, this kid is now projected to be a top five pick in most mock drafts. I don't know if he'll stay there, but I don't see why not. He has made himself easily one of the most viable options outside of Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. He's become really that third guy alongside Trey Lance uh, with a lot of mock draft guys. uh, When you look at the quarterback position. I don't know if you talked about it, but Oregon got a win over Stanford this weekend, uh, pretty impressively as well. Oregon's defense looked pretty good after the first after Stanford's first drive, uh, and and Oregon's quarterback really surprised me of how athletic he was. I this I I don't know if I just missed some article clippings or his ability to get out the pocket was, was really well. Uh, it was really good. And it really gave a dynamic to Oregon that I haven't seen in a very long time. I'm not ready to call the kid Marcus Mariota yet, but he did show me at least flashes of being, uh, not being somebody. He's short Marcus market. Mariota. Oh, I, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I,
1: mean, <laughs> I think he's Mariota six, <laughs> four. And this guy's like five eleven. Mean, yeah,
2: yeah. 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 So, you know, uh, but it obviously gave another dynamic to the offense that we didn't get to see as much with Herbert. We kind of saw towards the end of his career um, while at Oregon, um, staying in the PAC 12 USC was able to pick up a, a nail biting win over Arizona state, which hurt my heart. Uh, you know, and once again, after that, you know, apparently they didn't watch the Falcons game earlier this year where we can't recover onside kicks. I mean, this is something that we're supposed to practice. Like, I, I don't know about you, Nick, as a coach, You guys probably had hands teamed during practice, you know, to, you know, this is something we practiced game, you know, day in and day out. And once again, something that's supposed to be as routine as recovering an onside kick. And it wasn't even a good one. Just, you know, the guy just doesn't catch it. USC picks it up, goes right, marches down the field, scores a touchdown, wins 28, 27. Although Jaden Daniels and company looked really good. I thought Arizona state looked better than a lot of people thought they would. USC was able to hang on, Um, you know, and Like you said, kudos to Liberty. I mean, Hugh Freeze has got to be at this point. You think he's probably on the short list of hottest commodities move going into the coaching carousel next year? Uh, this is a guy who's revamping his entire uh, revamping his resume by leading a Liberty team to 22nd in the country. I mean, I don't think anybody would have thought they would be here at this point. They're seven and oh. I don't know if Hugh freeze gets a job going into next year, but definitely a guy who's making up for you know everything that went wrong uh during his tenure years at Ole Miss
0: yeah, well, apparently earlier today signed a, or or agreed to an extension so uh, we'll see if that if that becomes official it'll be a little more a little more yeah. difficult I guess whoever you might to just try like the
1: vibe yeah you know, where is where is Liberty
0: Lynchburg Virginia
1: Lynchburg, Virginia. you might just like the vibe there you might just like uh well you know being there he, he's Stay uh,
0: a little bit out of the spotlight a little longer maybe probably, yeah yeah absolutely. yeah
1: it'd probably be a good idea for him too uh i didn't ask you guys but uh and we had half of them play last night as well but uh nick your first impressions of uh the mac and, and any pack 12 things that you want to throw out there as well
0: yeah, I mean the the Mac. It's it's certainly good to have some options on a, a Tuesday night or Wednesday night. We we saw some like you mentioned last uh, last night, and, and you and I were chatting a little bit earlier about the Akron Ohio game. It kind of surprised some folks because Ohio was a you know twenty eight almost point favorite, and certainly they you know played down to Akron's level a little bit. Akron really tried to to uh, you know control the the tempo of the game and uh and you know slow it down but you know our numbers really really you know think that Akron's really weak and they they kind of like Ohio a little bit but uh something that we also try to do is is uh, capture you know coaching performance the impact that coaches have and and not to dive too much into that one game cuz it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme but it kind of helped uh, show where some of our what we're trying to accomplish with with our co tradings and things like that. Sometimes it gets a little bit tricky because Frank Solich at Ohio is is similar in in a lot of ways to uh, you know Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, maybe even uh, you know uh, Gundy at, at Oklahoma State, a few others. D'Antonio used to be similar, where you know anytime they're an underdog, they they have a the ability to uh you know perform really well, play games close, scheme up to where they can kind of gloss over or you know smooth over some uh, deficiencies with the roster or, or whatever but when they're a favorite and especially a big favorite uh, they they don't tend to take care of business quite as as uh, well as as you might, hope they would so uh it's it's something you know looking a little bit ahead not to try to get too far ahead but but looking toward 2021 i do want to dive in a little bit more on uh you know coaches and and maybe try to uh you know root out a couple of guys like that who have that sort of history and maybe we can incorporate some of that in a way that can help us avoid like last night when ohio uh we had favored by almost 30, and and uh, ended up losing that game, of course. But had we, you know, had a, a plan in place that, like, oh, this is Frank Solich, and maybe you know, past history as a favorite, not not all that great. Uh, sometimes we can learn some things like from from games like that. But anyway, just something on my mind. But uh, Mac, happy to have it back for sure. It's always crazy. You never really know what's going to happen, and and so far. Uh, It's been been similar. I'm looking forward to Toledo Western Michigan tonight. Those are our two highest rated teams in the Mac and the Pac-12. Also, you know, great to have it back. That USC Arizona State game was was definitely exciting. USC was very, very fortunate, as Xavier said, to uh, be able to to steal a win. But, you know, for, for most folks you want. Uh, you know, if, if there's hope for the Pac-12 getting into the playoff, you want Oregon undefeated, you want USC undefeated, you want those two teams to play in the uh, championship game, and and uh, you know that that's the best the best shot probably for this uh, really really short season that they're going to be playing. But happy to have them back, and, and good to see some of these players that we've missed the first ten weeks.
1: And yeah. I told I totally biffed Tyler Shook's height too, by the way. He's six <laughs> five. Uh, I, I must have just seen him standing next to Penny Sewell a bunch or something. I thought he was small, but uh, I don't know. He 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 looked uh I, I don't know why I thought he was short. He I mean he small. does he I-, I went with you. I mean he did look kind of yeah. he did look six five on film. I don't know if well Herbert's an inch taller too, and just I think stood taller. so uh maybe it's posture i don't know but yeah tyler shook's a big boy too so Shook slouches maybe just yeah yeah maybe slouches uh, a little uh, bit maybe back of oregon yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty good i like it i like it your thoughts (laughs) on on the mac and the pac 12 nick do we have a candidate for one of the top five worst teams in college football with bowling green right now oh Uh, yeah I,
2: I i just had to bring it out i'm sorry bowling green I watched last week. I, I got to see them against Kent State this week. I mean, they gave up 38 points to Toledo, 62 points to Kent State. It's been ugly. Uh, it, it's not been. I, I know, and I know they played in the rain yesterday, and that had a lot to do with the offensive woes. But it, it was rough to watch. Uh, it was. It was just bad. Uh, Buffalo for me has been a, a really fun team to watch over the last two weeks. Uh, this is a team that was able to win both their matchups kind of in different ways. Week one against Northern Illinois. This is a team that was able to run the football. Kyle Van Trees kind of didn't do anything, do a, a much, much through the air was much more in a game manager role. 11 of 17, 175 yards, a touchdown interception in week one. However, in week two, he airs it out and goes for four, uh, goes for four touchdowns against Miami of Ohio when they win uh, forty-two to ten. Him going for this time three hundred and fifty-three yards and four touchdowns again. Uh, this is a team that loves to run the football but can also do it through the air. So that balanced off uh, offense. Really surprised me through the first two weeks. Um, defensively, well, is yet to be seen how consistently they can play. Obviously, they gave up 30 in Week 1 and 10 in Week 2. I don't know if they're ten point, they're 10-point defense. But I don't know if they're a 30-point defense. Maybe they're somewhere in the middle. Uh, I don't think next week will be too much of a barometer as they play Bowling Green. They'll probably have another great out being offensively. Uh, but this is a team to keep your eye on uh, throughout the MAAC, uh and as crazy as it is.
1: All right. How did the bets look last week, Nick? How did we end up?
2: uh overall
0: uh, pretty solid I mean the the some of the higher profile games didn't didn't go our way but um against the spread our official number was 27 20 and 1 totals had another solid week 26 and 22 uh our projected scoring margin so when I say like our stats only model that one has been the best this year so far and you know Past results don't always indicate future uh, performance, but that that model's been uh, 57.7% all season. It was 28, 19, and 1 last week. And, and that's also the same model that produces those totals, which have been 58.8% this season. So uh, that's, that's excellent. I mean, if, if we could continue that Uh, from here on out and for the rest of the season, I would be very, very happy. And and I have a feeling that that model is going to be uh, making its way more and more into our official uh, model moving forward. So excited about that. Our all three agree we're we're actually a bit disappointing. And and so uh, that's not moving in the right direction. I I must say that the talent edge portion of that I I feel is uh, really kind of – it had a really bad week and, and those have been trending uh, in the wrong direction the last couple of weeks. So we will mention those, but but I'm starting to care a little bit less if it's all three agree and, and caring more. Does it line up specifically with the official model uh, that incorporates coaching and, uh, you know, talent level and all that stuff together? Uh, and, you know, how does it fare with the, the projected scoring mod, uh, margin model? the stats only model. So uh, we'll still note those, but uh, that was four and eight last week. The all three agree uh, that's at uh, 54.2% for the season. So still good, but uh, not, not nearly uh, as good as, as we started. And I, I feel like, uh, you know, over the course of the year, as we're starting to learn more about these teams, what they look like on the field, it makes a certain amount of sense that maybe the talent edge, Model is is a little less predictive than maybe it would have been earlier in the year, but I don't know. We'll continue to evaluate. We'll continue to see. Hopefully, that'll bounce back. We'll have a good week. I feel pretty good about most of the all three agree uh, selections so far this week, and you know, hopefully, those don't get canceled like they did last week. We lost three or four of them, <laughs> and uh, maybe maybe we would have won those. Maybe we'd have been five hundred or better if, if we had them all. But uh, overall, solid week, not spectacular, but. Uh, learning more and, and feeling good, particularly about the the stats only model, how it's worked with totals and how it's worked uh, against the spread as well.
1: yeah, these cancellations are killing me. I hate it. But, <laughs> uh, uh, let's go let's talk about this week, and uh, I think it's time for Xavier to finally uh, be first again. so uh, what what game do you want to start us out with?
2: Let's go ahead and start in prime time. We start with a team we have yet to see all year versus a team we probably don't want to see after this week. Wisconsin at Michigan. Uh, this is going to be a game for me that means a lot to Wisconsin. Uh, they, they have to
1: We saw win. Wisconsin. They did play one game. Oh, that's true. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. Graham Murray threw the five <laughs> touchdowns. It's been almost a month. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, they have to win the eye test from here on out. This is a team that has not been on the screens as, you know, Ohio State and uh Indiana have taken the headlines in the conference. Wisconsin kind of is just kind of falling by the wayside by the wayside a bit uh, in, in the talks of a team that could possibly win the Big Ten. And this is a nice barometer game for how good Wisconsin will be. At the end of the day, Michigan is still very talented, and this is a Michigan team that although they haven't been able to produce that talent in in, in all three ball games this year, if Wisconsin can go into Michigan and dominate, this is still going to be a big time win for them. Uh, for Wisconsin, I really. I am looking for them to dominate this matchup Wisconsin uh, Michigan is a team that has been awful against downfield passing their secondary has been ripped to shreds by some you know some of the more pedestrian quarterbacks in the Big Ten so far and I expect that to happen on Saturday Wisconsin's strength of their offense for maybe the first time in my lifetime is their receiving core and and I think that they're going to use that on Saturday I think Michigan's going to really struggle against the talent that they have on the outside if your Wisconsin, all your film suggests that you should throw the football against Michigan because they can't stop it, and and I don't think that changes on Saturday. I think this is at the very least a shootout. I think Wisconsin pulls away and wins this ball game. I, I feel sorry for Michigan to an extent because I really think that interior they're really still one of the best teams in the conference as far as their front seven is concerned. However, their secondary gives them no hope. Defensively and has yet to give them any hope all season. And as far as uh, quarterback play for them, Joe Milton's content looks like a freshman. He doesn't, you know, week one he looked like a, a, a you know a junior or, or third a third year senior. He looked really good. However, he's he's regressed since that game, and you can tell that now defenses are kind of figuring him out. He likes to run after he not seeing his first option. Once. That happens, the defense kind of rallies around him and makes it difficult for him to get to that second or third or that check down. And I think Wisconsin's going to do that. Remember, this is still a Wisconsin defense that ranked in the top five last year before they saw Ohio State and got obliterated. So don't, this Wisconsin defense is not one to sleep on. Uh, I like Wisconsin in this game big. Scott, what is the over under on this game? It,
1: that one is it's Michigan by four and a half, 53 and a half is the over.
2: Give me Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would take Wisconsin too. I mean, Michigan is instilling no faith, Nick. I mean, uh, can we trust them at all?
0: I've I've lost trust, uh, and you know, part of it is
1: we did it. We did it, Xavier.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, and and you know what? The the numbers are starting to reflect that as well, which which makes it easier. You brought up a really great point about Michigan's coverage and and looking through the the PFF grades. Uh, through three games, Michigan ranks 102nd nationally out of the 123 teams uh, that have played in their coverage grade. So Michigan is is ranked below teams like Georgia Tech, Kent State, USF, Navy, South Alabama, Texas. Scott, so uh, you know, not a <laughs> so not a not a great start to the season for for Michigan. Uh, defending the defending the pass, and and I guess you know if if you're looking for a silver lining here, and Xavier mentioned how impressed he was with the Wisconsin passing game. Uh, unless something has changed in the last day that I've missed, uh, we're still not going to see Graham Mertz, and, and we're probably mm-hmm. not going to see uh, you know Jack Cohn, who is the projected preseason starter. Uh, we're not going to see even. The third stringer, whose name escapes me right now, Danny. Uh, no, not Danny. He's a freshman, or he's a he's a walk on. Uh, Chase Wolf. Uh, those guys seem to still be out. Last I heard, so Danny Vandenboom is going to get the start. Uh, who's who's not? You know, I mean, he's played in three games, but uh, probably not. You shouldn't shouldn't expect to see what we saw. Uh, from Graham Mertz with Wisconsin. And and they've had time to prepare. Hopefully they've had time to get everybody healthy and, and everybody will be able to to compete in this game. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've lost a lot of faith in Michigan. I'm, I'm starting to come around. I, I you know, I, I still, what we said last week about is Jim Harbaugh in the hot seat. I'll believe it, I guess, when I see it. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, they have not, Impressed Michigan certainly has not impressed this year in, in a variety of ways and it's starting to catch up a little bit with our numbers our numbers have uh, Wisconsin as a five point favorite so expect them officially to uh, you know get get the win and to cover. Obviously, Michigan on paper is still the more talented team. They are more often than not. They're about a three-and-a-half-point favorite as far as our talent edge go. But if we look at the stats-only model, which I mentioned was has been our best model all year, hitting almost 59%, that's, that's the best one for Wisconsin. It's got Wisconsin by over a touchdown. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard for me to also put a lot of faith in Wisconsin, because we've only seen them in one game, and and they absolutely obliterated Illinois. But Illinois, we have seen now uh, a few times. Illinois ranks 117th in our team performance ratings overall, 101st offensively, and 118th defensively. So, you know how how much really uh, could we learn from that one game? That. Scott, as you mentioned, was about a month ago. So uh, it, it's uh, I, I feel a little bit weird about it. I, I do like, I guess, that our numbers, are our official model, uh, you know, finally has us opposite Michigan. That hasn't happened too much yeah. recently, and that feels right to me. But I also... I also worry a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm always skeptical no matter what it, whatever it says, but uh, I, I, I also think, okay, well maybe, maybe Michigan, you know, finally they'll, they'll you know prove us wrong or maybe Wisconsin's a little overrated now, especially with so many guys potentially out. So uh, it, it, you know, I guess I, I feel good that we're on Wisconsin, uh, but I, I do worry that we've only seen one game from them and, and that we also don't really know what the fallout is from, The last couple of weeks they've been off uh, with with so many guys impacted by COVID, whether it's having the, uh, you know, having having it uh, themselves or or contact tracing, being away from the practice field and and all that good stuff. So uh, we'll see. It's a really interesting game. I I hope to learn more about Wisconsin, but I think by this point I've I've learned enough from Michigan that they've, they've lost the benefit of the doubt from from me
2: personally. There we go. That's that's what we wanted to unique. 29-24's final score, I think. They've, they've lost the partners. benefit of the doubt. Yes, They absolutely have.
1: Uh, for my game, I'm going to pick... I'm just going to start out with the early one. Virginia Tech being favored over Miami is surprising mm. to me. So, uh, I mean, Miami is a top-10-ranked team. Virginia Tech's strong, though. Uh, the uh, line right here that I'm seeing is... Bottech by about two and a half to two, and sixty-seven to sixty-seven and a half is the over. So, Nick, how do we see that one going?
0: That that's a really interesting game as well, and and I'm glad you mentioned it because uh, when our first, so if you're unfamiliar with us out there, listeners, the, to, to to sort of the weekly schedule, I run our first set of projections against the spread using our official model. The the second that final game is over. So last week when Hawaii finished off New Mexico, I was ready to to press uh, publish on that list, and I was a little bit surprised because at that moment Virginia Tech our our model had favored by about a point over Miami, and I thought, man, that that's really weird. That can't be right. And so Sunday afternoon, Circa is the first uh, out of Las Vegas to publish. Uh, Early lines they kind of set the set the market, and uh, you know I I was a little bit surprised when I glanced at it and they had Virginia Tech favored, and I I did not expect it to stay that way uh, because you know our our numbers we have Miami as the uh, better team in our our power ratings, but we still do you know, uh, uh, wait a little bit for home field advantage, a point and a half is what we've been using all year. And that's still sort of our go-to. But then as I started to fold in the numbers from uh, last week's games, Miami uh, got a win, not super impressive, but played well offensively. Derek King looked amazing uh, as he can sometimes do. And and it seems that he's got a go-to receiver now in Mike Harley, the running game, you know the, the the running backs weren't as productive, but uh, still, that offense I think was was operating at a level that we kind of hoped we might see with Rhett Lashley, with the Eric King and and that group. Uh, Virginia Tech, obviously, we mentioned, lost to Liberty. They were a big favorite. They were more than a two touchdown favorite in that game. And and even though our numbers expected it to be uh, pretty close, we still had Virginia Tech favored by. I believe it was over a touchdown. So, um, you know, that that was certainly a, a poor performance overall. Defensively, Virginia Tech has been really, you know, they've, they've struggled all year. I think year. that's what
1: makes it the most surprising, right, is the fact that they just lost to Liberty, right. and now they're favored against Miami, even though it's right. a home game. Uh, I think that's what makes it the most surprising.
0: Yeah, and and I expected the market to to say, oh, Miami, obviously not only a top-10 team versus an unranked, Virginia Tech team but Virginia Tech uh, I I mentioned those coverage uh, grades for Michigan looking at run defense Virginia Tech is 121st out of the 123 teams they just can't stop anybody from running the football right now and and so you know I I definitely expected that number to shift and ours did actually uh so I I I, you know at this point we've got Miami favored this is a a, uh instance in which we think the wrong team is favored, those numbers have been pretty good for us this year, 17 and 13 uh, overall, where uh, the team that we have favored uh, wins against the spread, and then 13 of those are outright upsets. So if you're looking for you know, money line value, that, that's been really, really good for us this year. However, we also mentioned when we talked about the Virginia Tech game against Liberty last week that Historically, an unranked team being favored over a ranked team has been a, a runaway winner against the spread. Didn't work out last week, but in the, you know, the grand scheme, it, it, it usually does. And then if you dig deeper into uh, Virginia Tech's performance, yeah, they lost last week. But according to uh, Bill Connolly's postgame win expectancy numbers, uh, he had Virginia Tech winning that game with that same set of statistics, that box score, 68% of the time. So they played better than the final score would indicate. Virginia Tech also lost to Wake Forest, where Bill said uh, that that post-game win expectancy number was 77%. So this is a, a Virginia Tech team that despite some upset losses, they, they've you know given away a couple of games that they probably shouldn't have, Uh, You know, has played a little bit better
1: competition and down to the competition.
0: Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and even playing down to the competition there, you know, it's 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 difficult to say to use the word lucky or unlucky because that's not exactly right. Uh, Sometimes, you know, it it is just shooting yourselves in the foot at at the worst possible time. But, you know, Virginia Tech is sixth nationally in our offensive team performance ratings. They're 92nd defensively. But this is a team that can compete against any defense in the country and, and put up, uh, you know, a lot of yards, a lot of points. And, and Miami, as we saw last week, gave up 42 points to NC State, is not quite the suffocating Miami defense that we saw in years past, that we've seen in years past. And, and kind of the strength of that unit is in the pass rush, which – you know, isn't, isn't as big a deal, and you're going against Virginia Tech, who's running uh, the quarterback, who's running Khalil Herbert, who's, uh, you know, uh, been able to, to establish the run uh, really pretty well this year, and, and you know, uh, it isn't necessarily a team that uh, is going to, you know, take a ton of shots down the field, though they do have some capable receivers and and are able to do that. And Hinton Hooker can hit a big pass play every once in a while. So anyway, it's, it's, it is a very, very interesting number because I did not expect it to stay. Our number originally was kind of on that side, but then our, our team performance uh, numbers, once they got added in felt a little bit better about Miami than Virginia tech. So personally, I don't really know which way, you know, I, I don't know how good to feel about it, but I am glad to see. I am glad to be on the Miami side, it, if if that makes sense. We do have a pretty good track record of, you know, when our our projected favorite is a Vegas underdog, that that works for us more often than not. So I'm I'm happy to see that, but I kind of understand why Virginia Tech is favored. I don't entirely understand why the market hasn't uh, flipped that, but maybe by kickoff. They would, but it's it's kind of a situation where you know what do they know that we don't know, Uh,
1: you know, out of Las Vegas, it kind of has that feel to it. Um, But might be that this week that people don't want to even place a bet until they know the game's going to be played.
0: (laughs) Well, Mm. but if if it if it gets if it gets canceled, then then the bet gets canceled. I know, I
1: know. know. It's
0: just but it's interesting, and 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 actually, our stats only model. Um, does have Virginia Tech as a very, very slight favorite. Not, not a, a you know two and a half was the official when we uh, released. Virginia Tech is only favored by half a point. But uh, our talent edge model has Miami by a touchdown, and our official projection is Miami by almost a field goal. So final score twenty nine twenty seven. All three agree, and the wrong team's favorite. That's been a pretty good uh, spot for us to be in. Doesn't always mean it will be uh, from here moving forward, but I- I'd
1: rather
2: be on Miami than Virginia
1: Tech. Uh, what do you, what do you see happening in this game, Xavier?
2: Yeah, this is a weird one for me because it's where I genuinely think Miami will win this ball game. I don't know about what the margin will be. You know, I, Miami is obviously and, and definitely the more talented ball club here. They're the team that's on the roll right here with the more confidence. However, they continuously play down to their opponents. And it's not like it's a one-off and last week was just, oh, you know, NC State caught them, you know, slipping. This is a team that continuously plays down to its opponent. You know, barely beat Virginia 19-14. You know, barely beat Pittsburgh 31-19, needing a late touchdown to put that one away. Needing a late touchdown to put away a Louisville team 47-34. Like, this is a team that continuously leaves it late for them to finally explode and put them and put the other team away. And that concerns me with a team like Virginia tech, you know, this is a team that that's gritty. that's going to be looking to bounce back from what for them and their standards and their program, what was probably thought of as an embarrassing loss against Liberty. Um, and for, and for me, I want to see if Miami can continue this type rope type act that they continue to do. You know, I'm not sure if they can, I don't see, you know, I think Virginia Tech might creep up and win this ballgame. You know, I, I don't I don't I wouldn't be surprised by it, let's put it that way. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Virginia Tech was able to win this ballgame by three or four points, you know, because Miami has a couple of inexplicable turnovers, bad penalties, you know, and they decide to once again play down to their opponents and keep their opponents in the game for too long. I'm gonna pick Miami off solely off the strength of De'Arick King. I think he won't allow this team to go down in flames. You know, it'll have to be me or the team in in this kind of situation. That's the kind of mentality he's kept game in and game out. Even in the way that he's performing in the fourth quarter, you can tell that he's willing his offense at times in the fourth quarter when they need a big, when they need a score. Whether that's running for 40 yards on the third and six, whether that's throwing a big touchdown. Uh, Typically it has been with his legs, especially in the fourth quarter. But this is a guy who refuses to lose. And that mentality, when it comes from your quarterback, gives me the confidence that you can win any ballgame, especially against a lesser-talented team. So I'm going to go with Miami here, solely off the, off the back of Derek King. This guy, if, the, if, if Miami was undefeated right now, he'd be in Heisman talks. That's how good he has been personally over the last three weeks or, and, and since the Clemson matchup. This guy has been excellent, and I think his excellence is what's going to push them over the edge against Virginia Tech. All
1: right, Xavier you're Nick, you're up for your game.
2: So there's there's a game that
0: our numbers seem pretty similarly to last week's Michigan Indiana game. So mm-hmm. you remember last week our our numbers were pretty heavy on Michigan. So it clearly that the Wolverines should be favored. Obviously, uh, the way it played out, that was not the case. So you know, uh, will will that same scenario happen this week, or you know, maybe did, did just sort of for whatever reason our, our numbers. Uh, not see the you know it just didn't work out for us Penn state at, at nebraska is uh basically the same game as far as our numbers go when this was officially posted penn state was a three and a half point favorite uh over under 55 and a half and all three of our numbers overwhelmingly are on penn state by nine or more it's, it's nine almost even as far as talent edge goes. It's tw- almost 13 as far as our stats only model goes, which has been our best model. And then officially when we throw in all the coaching history and, and all the, uh, you know, player information, roster news, all that good stuff, it's nine and a half basically. So that obviously we see a huge, huge edge there, but Penn State has been arguably the most disappointing team. And, College football so far this year, we yeah. had them a preseason top five team in our power rankings based on uh, what their you know team performance numbers were last year coming into the season. Of course, they've had a lot of guys unavailable that we expected they would be leaning really heavily on. Micah Parsons, the linebacker who I think mm-hmm. is arguably the best in the country. Journey Brown, a, a really really exciting running back, and then Noah Kane, this top backup, who is. Almost, you know, is good. You can make an argument. Uh, both of those guys out for the year, you know, has really hurt the uh, offense as a whole. Has hurt the running game. Sean Clifford hasn't played particularly well. Threw for a lot of yards last week, but uh, we learned just before we started recording. James Franklin said that backup Will Levis is going to get snaps this week. Uh, but you know, Nebraska hasn't been that great either, and and they weren't able to play last week but um or excuse me they did play last week they lost to northwestern they weren't able to play wisconsin the the previous week but you know they've played some tough teams they played ohio state they played northwestern who is really really much improved but you know this is still the same sort of you know disappointing underachieving nebraska that we've seen the last couple of years under scott frost they've got their own quarterback issues it's adrian martinez going to keep his starting job. They've already been moving Luke McCaffrey in, basically, uh, you know, uh, getting him snaps here and there. And seems like that has a, you know, it it seems like McCaffrey is trending toward becoming a a bigger and bigger part of this offense. Mm -hmm. And they just, they haven't been able to get going. And and they play two really tough defenses. and, And I expect Penn State uh, should be able to, to pick it up a little bit defensively. I mean they, they still are very talented still rank among uh, you know our top 10 uh, defenses as far as talent across the board our, our talent metrics are concerned, but that unit has not played up to, to that level. They rank 65th in defensive team performance. They rank 58th on offense Penn State does. So Nebraska is certainly capable of, of uh, you know putting up some points. but Nebraska, ranks 109th in our defensive team performance ratings and and ranks 100th overall. So this is really kind of an odd game. Uh, I was much higher, I think, on both of these teams coming into the season. But uh, as much as I've soured on Penn State, they still rank 26th in our power rankings. Nebraska ranks 69th. That's That's a big gap. And obviously, you know the the market, the the odds makers have it much closer. But I, I'm trying to find a reason to to you know believe that Nebraska can uh, play this close enough. And I just I think Penn State really should be favored by closer to a touchdown. So you know I'm I'm, I'm struggling. Maybe there's something I'm missing. I'm a little bit, you know, feeling burned maybe by Michigan last week and thinking Penn State could do the same thing this week. But as far as our projections go, we see this as one of the most clear edges of of any. All three of our models, not only do they agree, it's not by percentage points, it's by basically a touchdown uh, that, that, that they agree in Penn State's favor. So this could be the ultimate, you know, what are they? You know, what What are we missing? What do they know that we don't know? But, man, Penn State really looks like our, our biggest edge of the week this week.
1: Uh, this is an interesting game, Xavier. How do you see it going?
2: <sighs> <laughs> you know, it, it's weird because I would be so confident to say Penn State's going to run, the, you know, route this game uh, and run Nebraska off the field. However, Penn State – has not been able to put it together yet. You know, and they've struggled offensively. It's been, it's been probably somewhere I didn't think they were going to struggle as much as I as they have throughout this year. And I think when you look at their performances so far, it's really leaned on the shoulders of Sean Clifford. You know, I didn't think that missing uh their top three running backs coming into the year was going to be as big as a deal as it has been, but they cannot run the football. Like just it's non-existent the run game is not there and it's really been put on the shoulders of Sean Clifford to do and carry the offense and he hasn't been able to live up to this you know step up to the the plate so far but you're almost expecting and waiting for him to do so you know this is a guy who coming into the year Penn State fans were ultra confident that him along with the running game could lead them to a a Big Ten championship possibly and and, you know it's surprising how Pedestrian. He looks at time, and how lost he looks at times, and how much he ends up relying on his legs a lot of the time to make plays. Uh, when obviously you know, when he's on passing downs, and for me, that's really concerning. Going into a game against Nebraska, that I think genuinely are going to rush three or four and make them beat them on the ground, and they're going to really tell Penn State, "Hey, if you can't run the football against us, you're not going to beat us." And I think that that's that the blueprint is out on Penn State at this point that. They're going to have to pass the ball 30, 40 times to win the game. And if you can't do so, you're going to lose. Uh, from a Nebraska standpoint, Nebraska just has to figure out something at this point. Uh, you know, it's Scott Frost and company. I, you know, I'm I'm done with Nebraska. I talk to <laughs> them every year about a team that could possibly make some noise in the Big Ten. They've got all this talent. Adrian Martinez might be a Dark Horse Heisman candidate. Blah. All of that is done. They have got to get back to the basics. They have got to consistently find some type of offense somewhere, and they can't do it. They have not been able to do it all year. This is why I'm going to go with Penn State because between both offenses, Nebraska is far worse than anything Penn State has put on the field this year, and Penn State should win this ballgame. They should win this ballgame and get off the snide, get their first win of the year, and maybe they return back to some of the form that we thought they'd carry going into this season. You know, it's a good thing when you play a Nebraska team that genuinely looks like it's hard to watch them play offense. Uh, and and it's, it's really difficult. Uh, so this should be a bounce-back game for the Nittany Lions. I've got them with the win. Uh, I don't know if it will be big. This might just be a real ugly one, but Penn State nevertheless.
1: All right, well, you're up to pick a second game, Xavier. What are you going with?
2: Yeah, so this game, I'm going to go, this, this is a trap game for me. I, I think that this might be a team smelling themselves a little bit too early. This is going to be Indiana versus Michigan State. I think this is a game for me that, when I look at Indiana, this, for me, with Ohio State being the week after this one, that being next week, do they overlook Michigan State? This is a team in Michigan State that is not good. Let's just have it right. They're not a good ball club. You know, this is a team that's very susceptible to the deep ball. They themselves offensively maybe uh, looked a little bit too good against Michigan for people to get excited. But this is not a good ball club from, you know, any side. You know, this is a team that just gave up 49 to Iowa. The defense is not what it used to be. But at the same token, this is a team that understands they're going to be at home and they have an opportunity for the second time this year to be a ranked team and to ruin the season, quite frankly. And Indiana has to stay, you know, has to have their blinders on. Yes, we know that the big game is up next week. You win this game, you might be a top ten team facing, you know, a top three team in the country, Ohio State, next week. We get that, but you have to win every single ball game to remain ranked where you are. And does Indiana get a little bit of the foresight? Do they look past Michigan State, and this ends up being a ball game in the fourth quarter where Michigan State's up by three, and Indiana's trying to find a way to win the ball game? I think this could happen. So I'm, i I see the game as a track game for Michigan State. I'm, uh, excuse me, for Indiana, I'm still going to pick Indiana slightly, but don't be surprised if Michigan State is up late in this game, and Indiana has to put together what they did against Penn State to win this uh, to win this ball game. I think they might be looking a little ahead to Ohio State because this once again is not a team that's typically in this situation. Do not be surprised if they look a little bit out of sorts, being the the hunted versus the hunter for once.
1: How do you see this one playing out, Nick? This is an interesting game, and I, I do like the call out of, uh, you know, this being a trap game for Indiana, who is playing really well.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. It's something that wasn't really on my radar, I guess, looking ahead to the the, the Ohio State game. Um, I think think it's a, a, a fair thing to wonder, because Michigan State, we really don't know what to think of them Yet they looked horrible last week. They looked horrible in the opener against Rutgers, but they looked really pretty good against Michigan. Of course, we know uh, you know Michigan's got its own issues, and and uh, maybe that you know we, we don't really know what to, to make of that game. Indiana is not necessarily the the you know most exciting team. They're they're not the the prettiest team to watch, but they find a way to win. They found a way to win against Penn State. They were very very fortunate. Uh, probably to, to get that win. Uh, we talked about that, you know, how uh, the postgame expectancy numbers showed uh, Penn State having played a much, much better game than Indiana. And, you know, that that kind of has carried over a little bit. I mean, last week against Michigan was their most complete performance. But still, I, I again, you know, go back to our, our team performance numbers. And, and anytime I mention these, by the way, we're, we're throwing a bunch of uh, advanced statistics, sort of into a formula, seeing what it, it spits out. Uh, the the CFB-graphs.com, uh, our, our friend Parker Fleming from uh, Stats of War on uh, Twitter, and and uh, a, a TCU uh, guy is is you know put together a, a really great resource that we use a lot of those things like EPA per play and and you know early down performance, third down performance, all of that. Uh, also use some PFF stuff. They do great work and, and really try to, to, you know, pick out what's the most predictive, what's the most important, and, and you know, put it into uh, a formula and, and give us a grade basically on the same scale all of our other numbers are. Anyway, Indiana overall in our, our overall team performance uh, rating is 45th. Offensively, they're 79th, and, and defensively, They've been good, but still only 30th. And, and you know, they're into the top 10 now in the the national polls, and, and they've beaten Penn State and Michigan. Those are, you know, huge, huge wins for the program. But, you know, I, I still struggle really to, to see them as a, you know, Big Ten East contender. And, yeah, you know, next week against Ohio State, they'll probably – our number is they're uh, going to be a 24 24- point underdog, and, and that seems even a little bit low, but I just, I don't know. Our, our number is starting to respect Indiana more. They are in the top 25 now in our power rankings, which, you know, to me is is a little bit of a surprise. Based on those team performance numbers, I, I might have expected them to still be outside the top 30, but, you know, Michael Penix is a, a decently rated player. He's, he's about an 85 in our individual player ratings. Stevie Scott's one of the best running backs in the country, according to our numbers. He's a 96, almost 97, while Fillier's in the 90s, wide receiver. So so they've got, you know, uh, some top-end guys, st- skill position guys. They don't have quite the depth of an Ohio State, even, you know, a Penn State maybe. But uh, they, they've got uh, solid starters across the board. And defensively, they've, they've really uh, been able to put together a, a good unit that's, you know, been able to to close the gap between what we would expect based on the recruiting numbers, uh, and, and then now what we've got, you know, experience-wise, our, our player numbers, our, our player ratings are, are starting to uh, come up as well. But still, depth is an issue. So I, I wonder how long they can really sustain overperforming those advanced statistics, you know, week in and week out. All that said. Uh, we see Indiana as a clear favorite here. Our stats-only model has them uh, almost eight points. That that feels good to me. They would cover the the seven. Our official projection has them almost a 10-point favorite. Now, talent edge, it's much, much closer. They are the more talented team because of guys like Penix and Scott and Fillier. Uh, and, and, you know, Michigan State is very, very young. But that, that model only sees Indiana as about a one-and-a-half-point favorite. So still they're they're favored in all three and and the two numbers that have been the best for us this year do see Indiana covering this game. It does feel a little bit like a trap game going on the road, Ohio State looming. I think Xavier made an excellent point with that. But our numbers are starting to respect Indiana a little bit. They don't really respect uh, Michigan State very much. Part of that is just because they've been so Jekyll and Hyde this year. Part of that is because they don't recruit at a particularly high level in the Big Ten. Michigan State's our 70th ranked team, 11th in the Big Ten. And honestly, that's probably a little bit high because – We've got Rocky Lombardi in the 80s as a, a quarterback position, uh, you know, at the quarterback position, who really probably hasn't played up to that level. So they, Michigan State might actually be a little bit overrated according to our numbers. So anyway, we, we see Indiana winning this and, and covering it. I think I I feel good about that. I think they should, but it is a tricky spot. So it wouldn't it all be a shock if Michigan State kind of recovers a little bit of, Uh, that magic they had against Michigan and and makes this, uh, you know, a a one possession game there at the end, maybe with a chance to win it.
1: I, yeah, yeah, I'm with you (laughs) on that game. The, the, I can't get this game out of my head that you talked about earlier, uh, before we even got on here, Nick. Uh, SMU at Tulsa, and Tulsa is a two and a half point favorite in this game, 63 and a half is the over, and SMU has looked really good against everyone not named Cincinnati. I mean, they beat Memphis, which they weren't expected to do. Uh, Cincinnati is just uh, on a different level. But Tulsa's defense has been playing a lot better. Now, when you dive in in the numbers, they're not great against the pass. They're 76, which is fine, but it's kind of middle of the road. They're 36 against the run, and they're 26 uh, in scoring, averaging just over uh, 21 points a game. So I understand that that's going to keep them in here, but I want to know what what you have to say and what the numbers have to say about number 19 SMU on the road against Tulsa.
0: Yeah, this is this is a really interesting game and and we talked very briefly about or maybe it wasn't briefly. We we kind of featured the game, but it ended up getting canceled after afterwards, so we didn't get to see how it would play out, but Tulsa was were they favored against Cincinnati or, or they were only like a three point underdog or something. Yeah, and,
1: it was close. Our, our numbers
0: had Cincinnati just like seven, eight, nine, something like that. So it, it was, it was that, you know, I've said it a few times already in the show about what do they know that we don't know. And part of that we've seen play out a little bit is, is Tulsa's defense, despite some of those traditional stats, not being particularly good. They, they do perform pretty well in uh, a lot of kind of advanced uh defensive numbers that that I think is is the bigger uh piece here they're they're a top 20 defense on the field so far they actually rank 14th in our defensive team performance which has kind of helped boost them overall they rank 25th and and all that said and 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 you know, there, there are – if you haven't seen Zaven Collins, the linebacker, he's a, a potential All-American type player. Probably going to play uh, on Sundays, I, I would expect. And they've got a couple of guys on offense that, that you know, especially at some key spots. Uh, Zach Smith, BYU – or not BYU, uh, Baylor transfer at quarterback. They've got – they're three deep at running back, even without Shamari Brooks, who's been, you know, their, their go-to guy for about three years. He's been out all year with an injury. They've got Corey Taylor, who's been a little bit banged up. Generic uh, Prince, who's a uh, Texas A&M transfer, but has looked really, really good in some limited opportunities this year. TK Wilkerson, excuse me. TK Wilkerson has uh, performed well. Also, Keelan Stokes has big playability. Sam Crawford has had a big game. Juan Carlos Santana. All those receivers have, have each, you know, had a, a good game here and there. So, uh, you know, Tulsa is is a dangerous team. They play pretty solid defense and they've got enough playmakers to, you know, make some plays here and there and, and win games that maybe we wouldn't expect them to like UCF. They, they knocked off UCF. They played Oklahoma state really close, but you know, they, they were really, really fortunate to beat East Carolina. Uh, they got some very, controversial calls on, on a game winning drive to, to even just win that game as a pretty heavy favorite. So that, you know, last time out wasn't super impressive. They had their game against Navy canceled. So it's been a little while since we've seen Tulsa this year being as weird as it is. I don't know if that's a good thing that, you know, hopefully they're well rested. Hopefully they've you know been able to practice, but it's not like they get the full benefit of that because they spent a week preparing for Navy And then the game gets canceled. Oh, now we got to turn it over to SMU. So it's not like a normal season where you've got a a, an off week and two weeks to prepare for the next opponent, that type of thing. So I I don't know quite how to read that this year. SMU has played a lot of games. So on the one hand, you think, man, by now they're probably pretty worn out. They've had some injuries to some big name guys. Their starting quarter or starting running back, excuse me, coming into the year, TJ McDaniel their potential All-American receiver, Reggie Roberson, both of those guys are out for the year that, you know, and the overall wear and tear of a normal season, having already played eight games, you think, man, you know, uh, maybe they're a little bit worn down, but then also kind of think, well, maybe this year it's a little bit different, maybe playing week in and week out kind of to stay, uh, you know, stay oiled up, so to speak, to, to not have off weeks where uh, guys can go out and, and, get themselves exposed and, and uh, be put in a situation where maybe they test positive for COVID. And then you've got contact tracing and all that, you know, maybe hopefully SMU's uh, so far, I think, been able to, to uh, stay away from that sort of thing. And, and when you've got a quarterback like Shane Gouchel, also a transfer from the big 12, a former Texas guy, but he's been really, really good this year, played, played uh, excellent, They they've missed McDaniel and Roberson, but they've got Ulysses Bentley, who's been very, very exciting as a running back. They've got Rasheed Rice, who stepped up and become a big time receiver. Danny Gray, one of the fastest guys in college football, has been uh, injured and, and, you know, spent some time, unfortunately, on the sideline in recent weeks, but seems to be uh, healthy enough to play with a hamstring injury. And, you know, hopefully he'll be able to to, excuse me, hand injury. Uh, and hopefully he'll be able to to uh, be back and and uh, full speed, you know, soon enough. And then Kylan Granson is in the conversation uh, with Kyle Pitts as as the best tight end in college football. He's certainly uh, as a receiver one of the most productive in the country. So SMU has been very good, and and you know, offensively has been the big thing. And, and you know defensively, they've taken a step back in recent weeks. Navy made them look pretty bad. Cincinnati, of course, made them look bad. So they're 62nd in our defensive team performance, but they're 21st offensively and, and 29th overall. So on the field, they're playing like a top 30 team. Tulsa's playing like a top 25 team. That's basically a tie in my mind. SMU is the more talented team, and it's it's not particularly close. They've got more depth. They've got more talent across the board as far as our talent edge numbers go. We've got SMU as almost a ten point favorite. So if you only look at talent, and I mentioned that that number has not been as good as the others in recent weeks, so it is you know we're a little bit cautious with it, but they are the more talented team and almost a double-digit favorite that way. Our stats-only model also likes SMU, has them favored by more than a field goal, and then throw it all together, we've got SMU as a four-point favorite. So Tulsa is favored by the odds makers and, and uh, by the market. Maybe there's some COVID-related information with SMU that we don't know, uh, You know, but but the, the way everything that that we're able to, all the information we're able to put in right now, stats and roster information and, and all of that, we think SMU should be favored. So all three of our models agree, and we think the wrong team is favored. I mentioned that's that's been pretty good for us so far this year. Uh, and, uh, you know, our two best models so far see it a little bit closer, but they all three line up, and, and I feel pretty good about it. I, I, think, I think SMU should be favored here. Uh, unless there's something we're not accounting for, which is is certainly possible, but I think SMU should win this game.
1: Yeah, I mean that, and that's why I picked it, Xavier. I think I feel like SMU should probably be favored. How do you see this one going down between SMU and Tulsa?
2: If I've learned anything from watching college football this year, it's that defense <laughs> means absolutely nothing. I don't, and that no matter how good your defense is, if the other offense is. As explosive as SMU, they're probably going to win this ball game. You know, I, I don't know how many times we've come into a week and we talk about how good a team's defense is, then they go out and give up forty points. And no, I'm not. No, I'm not projecting about Georgia giving up forty points to, Georgia, to Florida. I'm just, I'm just saying this is been I mean, a reoccurring theme all year that t- offense wins now, and, and I think that this is going to show this in this game this week with SMU and Tulsa. Tulsa, like you said, has been a pretty good defensive team. However, like Nick said, I think they've been a tad bit lucky in their performances this year. I think they could easily be a one and two ball club right now, and we wouldn't be necessarily talking about this game being so close. I think against UCF, UCF kind of just faltered down the end of that ball game. And in the game against East Carolina, like Nick said, they got kind of blessed towards the end of that ball game with the cause on that final drive. I think when we look at this ball game, we look at a team in SMU that is far and away the second best team, maybe the third best team in this conference by a decent margin. And I think they'll show that this week against a Tulsa team that defensively has been pretty decent, but hasn't played an offense like SMU has yet. Even with them playing UCF, I think they played a UCF team that maybe was overlooking Tulsa at the time and has been erratic in certain drives and in certain quarters. SMU, quite the op- uh, quite the opposite against everybody. They have been able to put points up except for Cincinnati, but nobody's been able to get put up points against Cincinnati, so that's neither here nor there. Shane Bouchel is a guy who, I think it's coming into his own this year. Before this year, he had been a little, like Nick said, uh, about the, in the last segment, a little Jekyll and hyde He would come in, have maybe two interceptions in one game, then have three touchdowns, no interceptions the next game. But he's been a little bit more consistent this year. And I like that. I've seen that from him. The only game, obviously, that he wasn't was against Cincinnati. And even in that game, he wasn't terrible. He just wasn't good enough to win that game. I've got SMU in this one. I like SMU. Once again, if, like Nick said, in this COVID year. Who knows what information people have right now that we don't? So who knows? Uh, But I really like the Mustangs here and I like them to run the table when you look at the rest of their schedule. They've got Tulsa, Houston, and East Carolina. This is a team for me that I think has lost the only game on the schedule that maybe they should have lost. I think they'll run the table from here on out and and be one of those teams that right on the outside looking in of a New York six uh, come the end of
1: the year. And this is the only game left that's even in question. I mean, Houston and ECU—they should run run over. So uh, that 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 yeah, you're definitely right. They could uh, go with the one-loss season for sure. Uh, last game of the week, Nick. What do you got?
0: So I'm, I'm torn between two, and really, really three. Well, I don't know. Maybe four. I have four on my list. Uh, I think TCU, West Virginia is interesting. I think Arkansas, Florida is interesting. I think Oregon and Washington State are, are, is interesting. Uh, I, I think that, you know, all of those games uh, for, for just a variety of, of reasons appeal to me. But I, I think the one that we just kind of have to talk about is Notre Dame and Boston College. Uh, this is, you know, Notre Dame coming off the biggest win of the season this let down
1: year. spot for sure
0: absolutely let down spot hangover situation and boston college is is pretty good i mean they you know they they have not always performed uh you know incredibly well they were somewhat fortunate to come back and beat texas state and and you know they, they've they've been uh Kind of, kind of difficult to peg, you know, from week to week. They they didn't put Syracuse away last week, and and uh, you know, but then they gave Clemson a, a really good game. Played Clemson uh, almost as well as Notre Dame did, and and so they're they're a team that our numbers early early in the year really liked, and and uh, it worked out really well for us against Duke. It worked out for us against I believe North Carolina, Pitt, uh, Virginia Tech, and and. Uh, You know, this week, our numbers are pretty heavy on Notre Dame. It's a situation uh, similar to some that we've talked about in the past where you've got a team favored on the road. It's really difficult for our numbers, for all three of our models, to agree on a team in that situation. It, It did so a couple of weeks ago when Notre Dame was going on the road against Pitt favored by about you know 10.5, I think it was, and, and they absolutely blew out Pitt. Uh, Notre Dame, we talked about last week that our numbers really, really like. They have been a top-five team in our power rankings and our team performance rankings pretty much all year. They're still at four, even after last week's win over Clemson. But, uh, you know, I, I think that they, even against a shorthanded Clemson team, I think they proved – Kind of their worth. We we talked last week about who really have they played. Have they been tested by a, a really talented team? Even a shorthanded Clemson team is is the most talented team in the ACC, I think. And and uh, they were able to play well enough that they still rank number two in overall team performance. Even after giving up forty points to Clemson, they rank number three in defensive team performance. They're a top twenty offense. Ian Book played relatively well. I mean, you know, we, we've talked before also about how, uh, you know, how does he stack up as, uh, you know, against top competition coming into this year? His best games by and large uh, were in Notre Dame blowouts against weak opponents. Well, he held his own last week, I think. And, and uh, they're able to run the ball decently well. Kyron Williams has been really pretty good. That offensive line is, is in the conversation for being the best in the country. They played like it. Uh, a lot a lot this year and and certainly uh, at times last week Clemson we mentioned not as uh you know did, didn't have a full complement of players in the front seven but still that Notre Dame offensive line i think is deservedly uh, discussed about you know among being one of the top two or three best units in the country and they played at a top 10 level i'd say this year but uh very very good and and defensively They've got some playmakers. I mean, Jeremiah Olosu-Korma, big-time playmaker. Came up with a defensive uh, touchdown last week with that sort of, you know, uh, fumble but kind of, you know, took the ball out of the air uh, with Travis Etienne. And and, uh, they've got some other guys who I know a lot of NFL drafts, uh, you know, scouts and, and talent evaluators are getting really, really excited about. Mostly in the front seven, but then they've got, you know, Kyle Hamilton is one of the most talented Defensive backs in the country, kind of a just freak at 6'4", 220-ish, sophomore, All-American type player. He's, he's been banged up a bit, but uh, really, really an exciting, exciting player and and kind of helps elevate that defense. So, you know, Boston College, Phil Dracovic, talk about – a guy who's going to be motivated, right, who transferred away from Notre Dame, now gets to come back and play against his old team who might be on a little bit of a letdown. We haven't seen any flare-ups from the uh, you know fans storming the field last week, but that's still a little bit of a possibility in the last, you know, a couple of days leading up to the game. So it's, you know, will Notre Dame be at full strength here? If they are, they should win this game comfortably. And our numbers do pretty much expect, you know, a lot of the guys who've been uh, in and out of the lineup at receiver position, for the most part, are back. Warnick played last week. Uh, Keys is, is back. Uh, they they have had Kevin Austin out, unfortunately. You know, Braden Lindsey looks like he's being, you know, very close to, to returning. We might get to see him this week. So Notre Dame is almost at, at full strength. Uh, and I think a full-strength Notre Dame team should be pretty heavily favored, and our numbers think so. I mean, 13.5 was the official line when we released it this afternoon. Uh, our stats-only model has Notre Dame by 15 or more. Our talent edge model has Notre Dame by 16.5. And, and our our overall model, uh, this number kind of blew me away a little bit, has Notre Dame favored by 23. So that – was a bit of a surprise, but it was a little bit of a surprise when it was a similar number against Pitt two weeks ago. Pitt, you know, maybe not quite the same as Boston College, but but pretty similar in a lot of ways. and and if we if we you know take the outside factors out and there are certainly some motivational factors on Boston College's side, one of them being sort of maybe a lack of motivation after last week's win for Notre Dame. The other being Jukovic is a Notre Dame transfer, and the other, this is the red bandana game, which means a lot to folks at Boston College as well. It has really given them an emotional lift in years past, and Boston College has played really, really well in this game. So it's it's difficult to quantify those outside factors, and I understand that emotion does play a role, and our numbers don't you know don't capture it, but our numbers really, really like Notre Dame. Think that this is a game they should win pretty easily, and our official number being twenty three is is pretty eye popping. And and to be you know almost ten points above uh, the the uh, you know current point spread, our numbers see it pretty clear for Notre Dame. Obviously, some of the things we can't quantify, but you know the things we can think that think that the Fighting Irish should win this one pretty easily.
1: Yeah, I mean. This seems like it should be an easy game to pick, uh, you know, just looking through box scores and wanting to pick a game. But I like that Nick brought this one up because this is a uh, this is a letdown game spot. Xavier, do you think that Notre Dame rolls in this one or do you think they have a tough time against Boston College?
2: Yeah, this is a weird one for me. I absolutely agree with Nick. This could absolutely be a letdown game. And not only because they just came off of an historic win against uh, Clemson, but also because they have a bye week after this week. Sometimes as a player, you start to look towards that bye week like, ah, vacation a little Mm -hmm. bit. I can rest my wounds, you know, to an extent. I've been getting beat up for the last seven weeks, and now I can take a rest. You know, know, whatever. And, And so... And also, they have North Carolina in two weeks, which although North Carolina is not necessarily the the, the highly touted ranked team that we once had them at, still North Carolina is still one heck of a ball club. So I really do think that this can be a letdown game for them. The number one reason why I do though is because I still don't trust Ian Book. I think in all of yes, in all of last week's game, what I was still waiting for was Ian Book to show me why he's a quarterback that can lead a team to a national championship game. He still didn't tell me that last week. Uh, however, Notre Dame did show me that running the football-wise, they are good enough on the ground to win a national championship purely with their round, with the ground game, and if Ian Book can keep the turnovers down and can play just purely a game manager role. However, against Boston College, it's a team that does not allow teams to run the ball all that well. Michigan, I'm not Michigan, Clemson only ran for 80 yards. You know, this is a team that continues, that packs the box and makes you beat their corners man-to-man. This is this is not a team that's going to allow you to rush for a buck 73 uh, or a buck 40 and three touchdowns, which is what Kyron Williams was able to do against Clemson last week. And although Clemson is more talented, sometimes scheme beats talent every now and then. And so I think that this game is going to come on the shoulders of the senior. Can Ian Book keep his guys' uh, energy levels up re- and ready for a game that he knows they need to win to continue on to the streak to a possible college football playoff berth? However, are the rest of his guys going to come with him? And can Ian Book, you know, if this game is on his shoulders to win this game, can he do it? I have yet to see a game where Ian Book really took the game by the scruff of its neck and just was like, I'm going to win this game for, for Notre Dame. He didn't do it last week. And I'll be surprised if he does it this week uh, in a game that could be a letdown on the Boston college side, Phil jerkovic and company really have been impressive this year. Yes. They've had some games that were head scratchers like Syracuse, uh, like losing to, Vir- like getting blown up by Virginia tech. However, This Boston College team, always tough at home, has always been and forever will be tough at home. You know, they barely lost to UNC early, and that was when UNC was ranked in the top 10 at the beginning of the year. You know, and and since then, they have not lost a home game. And I don't be surprised, once again, like Nick said, with the emotions of the red bandana and and all these. uh, And number two is coming to your house for an opportunity to knock them off. This is their season. You know, a lot of time, a lot of times coaches say that in a way that, oh, every game is our season. No, genuinely for Boston College, this is their season. They've got Louisville and Virginia left on their schedule. They probably think they can handle both games as well. They've also got a bye week after this week. So what better to celebrate a bye week than just beating the number two team in the country? So I would not be surprised if Boston College can walk away with a win here. I'm going to go with Notre Dame simply because of talent. However, I would not be shocked. If uh, the Eagles do get a, an upset win here and Notre Dame and Notre Dame comes out flat and falls flat on their face.
1: I think what that means basically is just don't bet on this one. You no. know, uh, d- d- stay, stay away from it. Keep, keep your money to different games because no one would be surprised if Boston college came away with this one. Not only a letdown spot, but bandana game emotional, like, uh, Nick said, and, uh, you know, uh, we've seen many, many, a team upset, uh, uh, big time opponent and then lose to an inferior opponent the very next week. That's why it's called a letdown spot because it has happened many times in the past. Uh, Nick, tell us about the all three agree for, for the week here.
0: Yeah. And, and uh, real quick on, on that note and it'll be brought up. I'm sure there'll be a college game day feature on this game and and all that. Cause I think it was actually the very first college game day that they, they went to uh, in 1993. Notre Dame beat number one Florida State, who went on to win the national championship. Uh, and, and then the very next week, Notre Dame lost to Boston College, and it cost them a national championship. So that I, – I, as far as all of our numbers and everything, I don't care what happened in 1993. I don't care what happened <laughs> for the most part in 2019, most of the time, right. 20, you know, 2018 for sure. But expect to hear that if you haven't heard it. Uh, you know already that that Notre Dame knocked off the more team, lost to Boston College is a huge upset the next week. So it it has happened before, could happen again, uh, but I I don't necessarily see it happening. But uh, yes, so all three agree. We've we've talked about a few of these, and fortunately, uh, we did not record this uh, before the game on Tuesday because all three numbers agreed that Boston College or, or excuse me, uh, Bowling Green should be able to keep it within twenty. Uh, against Kent State that obviously did not happen so we do I did release that to our patrons and and may hopefully they missed it but uh so we're we do have to to count that one as a loss but uh yeah Boston Bowling Green excuse me is is uh pretty pretty bad they're young they've got you know decent talent uh coming up but uh yeah it might it might be a little while and they might need a uh you know, another coaching change, uh, at least on defense. But uh, one game that I really do like, and and I think we've talked about uh, off air that that we need to pick an upset. So I want you guys to pick an upset as well before we get out of here. But mine this week, I think FIU plus nine has a chance to, to pull out an outright upset in a rivalry game over FIU, or excuse me, FAU. FAU statistically, defensively, has been incredibly difficult Uh, to score against and FIU has been really pretty bad. They've had so many games canceled uh, so far this year. So it's kind of hard to to really see a scenario here, but uh, our numbers think that FIU is the most talented team think that this game, you know, obviously all three agree on it. So I I think that's a pretty decent uh, money line, you know, potential with a, a pretty good payoff at FIU plus nine. Uh, Miami plus two and a half half we mentioned Troy plus ten and a half against coastal Carolina uh, our numbers really have, have started to warm up to coastal Carolina but even then we think Troy uh, should be in this game Penn State minus three and a half we mentioned UTSA minus seven I know that that game has been rumored to have maybe some covid implications so be careful uh, but, our, our numbers all have UTSA as, as a double digit favorite. So uh, that one's pretty clear. Notre Dame minus 13 and a half, we mentioned. Uh, Southern Miss plus four and a half. Still, we try to knock down the Southern Miss number as much as possible. And uh, we're still on that one. Uh, we aren't on Louisiana Tech this week for the first time. So maybe Southern Miss will get there eventually. Uh, Louisville plus three and a half. We think Louisville should be favored. So. That one obviously has COVID implications. It got postponed last week, but we're on Louisville there. Baylor plus one and a half against Texas Tech. That one is a really, really weird one. If we had another game to talk about, I might choose that one. But uh, we think Baylor, even though they've been disappointing, actually has been playing semi-decent defense. Texas Tech has been really hurt by injuries, but uh, I would say is probably – the second worst team in the big 12. So it's a surprise
1: that even at home, that's that my favorite in that, one. by the way, that, that one was my pick. Cause I don't, you know, just looking through these games, I don't understand why Texas tech is favorite. I know they're at home, but that's not enough for me. I would definitely take Baylor in that game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that one, our, our numbers our they get Thornton
1: back too. Their number one wideout, like they're they're going to be ready to rock. Texas uh, Texas Tech pretty beat beat up right now. So
0: yeah, I agree. I agree, and we'll see. SMU plus two and a half. We mentioned this one is really weird, and we didn't talk about any of this. Florida State has had a ton of guys. Oh, yeah,
1: uh, Marvin Wilson out for the year. Marvin Wilson uh, out James for the year. James Blackman just uh, transferred, and um, uh, Torian Terry's. Just Left not the with the
0: team. Oh, yep, mm-hmm. he's done. Which we we, we I've speculated that for a while. Yeah, But yeah. Our numbers still think that Florida State should be less than a field goal underdog, and and the last number I saw was plus ten. So we're on Florida State, even with all those guys out there, the more talented team we think. Our stats only model actually has Florida State favored. Our official one has NC State as about a touchdown favorite, but you know, still of course within the ten. So that one's really weird. I don't have a ton of confidence in that one but you know the numbers kind of line up there and then South Carolina plus 11. South Carolina got absolutely demolished by Texas AM and last week. I don't have a lot of confidence in South Carolina if we want to talk about guys who I think really are on the hot seat. I think Will Muschamp is on the hot seat and uh, probably rightly so but we think they'll be able to, to keep it close enough this week South Carolina.
1: Uh, uh, Xavier, you got an upset special? What do you got?
2: If this does not go right, this is the last time I'm talking about this team on the podcast. I got Georgia, I got Georgia State over App State. Um, uh, this is a team that needs to win to keep pace in the Sun Belt. Uh, this is a team that if they don't win this week, it could be curtains for uh, for a bowl game. Obviously, the Sun Belt isn't allotted the same amount of bowls that most conferences are. and uh, they could struggle to make a bowl game if they don't win this week. Uh, you know, they're, they're they're right now at the bottom of the Sun Belt at two and three. They need a win, big time. And I know Sean Elliott is going to have these guys ready to go. And if not, they know the urgency that they have to play with, regardless. Uh, I. But hey, I've seen weird things happen this year. I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia State goes up there and is able to win a game over a a App State team that hasn't been the App State of old. Still good. Don't get me wrong. However, they have not been as dominant as they have been in maybe previous years. It might be susceptible to a Georgia State team that's offensively really good. And on top of that, App State plays Coastal Carolina next week and what might, might be a matchup of two ranked teams quite possibly, depending on what happens in the top 25 throughout this week. So we could see App State looking past the Georgia State team with a very explosive offense. And if Georgia State can get out early, who knows what happens in that ball game? Don't be surprised if App State is in a tough one, in a shootout against Georgia State come this weekend. Yeah.
0: I will say we give Georgia State a, the slightest of talent edges in that game. We think App State's going to win by 20, but uh, <laughs> but Georgia State from a talent standpoint is, is basically a coin flip.
1: Yeah, I mean, the spread on that game uh, is 16 and a half, and uh, the over is 63. So uh, hey, big, big I, I don't think I'm going to roll uh, with you on that one, Xavier, <laughs> but uh, we'll see how that plays out. But uh, that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, and it's Xavier underscore Trish, T R I C H E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.
0: You can support this podcast on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash CFB winning edge and pledge as little as $5 per month to support the show and receive access to written content each week, including our matchup graphics, talent edge projections, and winners, all published before the podcast each week.